Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiya, Bab. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> you sounded a bit... I know, I needed some vocal warm-up, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe I'm hitting puberty, Bab. I know, your voice like literally just broke. Yeah, I know. Podcast. Let's just say that it was the coffee we just had. Okay. And not puberty. Well, I'd hope that you passed the point of puberty now. I don't know. It was my birthday, so is my age considered still a puberty age? You're like nearer retirement age than you are nearer puberty. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. I'm not. I'm not I want to do the math. Well, it depends if you want to give your age out over the podcast. Oh, yeah. I turned 39. Okay. So I would have been, what, puberty 12? I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. What what age does puberty start? Well, I, I think I started getting hairy about 11. So from 11 to 21 is 10 years, to 31, 20 years, and then you add eight more. So it's 28 years. I'm glad you're doing the maths. Like, you are definitely the engineer in this relationship. Well, yeah, and I've done very complicated maths there, as you can see. But then retirement, so I'm 39. Next time, I'm next year, I'm going to be 40. Well done. Retirement age is 65. Well, it is at the minute. Wow, so... Oh, the... is it 67? Has it gone up? I don't know. Let's say 67. So it's 27 years. Plus one because I'm 39, so he's 28 years. So I'm right in the middle. Slap bang right in the middle. 28 years from puberty and 28 years from retirement. Maybe we should have a celebration for this moment. What, a celebration of being literally middle-aged? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can buy a motorbike. Buy a motorbike? I don't know, isn't that one of the things that you do when you reach middle age? You either buy a sports car, a boat, or a motorbike? I was thinking we might get a conservatory. <laughs> I, think, I think we have different ideas about middle age. Basically, what happens now is instead of watching like quirky comedies on BBC Three, we just have to watch Place in the Sun. Which I have been doing already. Well, there you are. So you're already middle age. Well okay. done. It was your birthday this week and I officially have been awarded the Worst Boyfriend in the World Award ever. Well, not officially. I mean, I haven't presented you with a trophy or anything, have I? Well, you were a bit quiet before and you seemed to be doing something outside in the garage. I thought you were making me a plaque or something. The thing is, I was working all day and I was literally meeting from half nine till 5pm. I had 10 different meetings. So it was already a, uh, a tiring day of work. Are you wanting sympathy for that? No, it's just my job. Okay. Because um, you're not going to get it. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then you had your Spanish class. Because Ben is learning Spanish. See. Si. From half six to half eight. Muy bien. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good Spanish. I'm so good at Spanish. You're so good did, at did Spanish. Did you think that I was like a native speaker then? Um, no. Almost bilingual. Almost. Almost. <laughs> With a capital A. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So then what happened is that we needed to have dinner. Well, first of all, we need to go back a little bit. Okay. Because I had planned a very special birthday dinner. Basically, I had ordered you uh, some traditional Argentine empanadas. 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 Yeah, definitely capital A in the almost <laughs> bilingual. I'm getting there. I'm yeah, getting, there. getting there. I mean, em empanadas is not as, you know, it's not as widely used as baños. Like, well, yeah, probably not. Donde estos los baños? Oh, donde están? Okay, right. This is, not, this is not a Spanish lesson. Okay. And I found this wonderful bakery in London run by Argentines and they make epan empanadas. Empanadas. They're basically pasties. I'm going to call them pasties because okay. I clearly can't pronounce that word. I was expecting them to come on your birthday. I'd put in a note that you were from Argentina. You wanted a taste of home for your birthday. Blah, 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 blah. And they never arrived. Ah. So I gave the bakery a call and it turns out that there was a mix-up somewhere along the line. They were really sad about it. And I have to say, genuinely on the phone, they did sound a bit devastated. There was lots of huffing and puffing and I could imagine lots of dramatic hand gestures at the other end of the phone. Irregardless of that, you didn't get your birthday tea because you were going to get this delivery of epinadas. So then we needed to sort dinner. 
basically we had a nice out of a box chicken korma wrap yeah which you had to cook essentially what this story boils down to is that ben had to cook his own birthday tea it was a weekday i didn't expect you to uh, cook me dinner i don't uh, your value as a boyfriend is not based on whether you cook me dinner on my birthday it's probably based on other factors how cute you are okay do tell i'm enjoying uh, this conversation now how much do you pamper me and hug me and cuddle and kiss and so oh. on how big your personality is. I wondered what you were going to say then. <laughs> and the fact that you feel and then empty the dishwasher. You know, in years to come, when people look back on the pandemic and how people all banded together, that we all supported one another and we, you know, social distancing and masks. And do you know what I'm going to remember from the pandemic? What? Literally opening and closing the dishwasher. I must open and close and unload and load that thing at least twice a day. Oh, can you hear that? That's somewhere in the world, the tiniest violin just started playing by itself. Do you know, it's got so bad that I actually commissioned a GIF that now I can just send you whenever I am, you know, I mean, I know you're only upstairs working, but I can actually send you the GIF just to remind you that there is a dishwasher and it does need unloading. Yeah, just like me, you're not getting any sympathy. <laughs> So you did have to cook your own birthday tea, but um, you know, and by tea, I, I, we should probably clarify that in British English, tea is like dinner. Oh yeah, that's really weird for people who are not British. Uh, so your meals, let's go, you have breakfast. Yeah, standard across the globe. Yeah, but then depending where you are, you can call lunch dinner. Yeah, I call it dinner. So lunch is dinner. So dinner is not dinner, lunch is dinner. Then you have your tea. Yeah which is not five o'clock tea. So tea is your dinner. And then after dinner, there was something else when we have like a snack before you go to bed, like a sandwich or something like oh, that. Oh, supper. It? Supper. See, when, when I learned English, all of them were synonyms. So dinner and supper were synonyms. They weren't different meals. Well, I'm glad we've clarified the idiosyncrasies of British English there. Yeah, so just as a, as a recap, breakfast is breakfast, lunch is dinner, dinner is not dinner, Dinner is tea. Tea is not tea. Tea is dinner. And then supper is completely different. So now that we've explained that, what have you done this week other than not cooking me my birthday dinner? Well, I went to Crewe. Oh, fancy. For work, which is um, a, a town mm -hmm. in the north of England. Okay. Um, and I went there for work. And do you know what? It's the furthest I've been away from home in about a year. And how far is Crewe from here? I'm doing this in kilometres for you, Bab. I think it's about 100 kilometres away. Okay. So what about time on the train? About an hour. About an hour. Yeah. It? Okay. But it felt like I was going abroad because I'd literally not been that far. I mean, I was I was like running around like, I'm just somewhere different. I'm somewhere different. But um, yeah, it was great being in Crewe. One of the first railway towns. Mm -hmm. um, it was a tiny little village before the railway came. It's a massive gateway to the north of England for, okay. for rail travel. And I also got to see the advanced passenger train. Now, that was um, a train that I wrote my university dissertation on. Obviously, massive affinity for that train. Okay. You obviously, you're looking at me like, what is the advanced passenger train? Well, basically, in the 1970s, the British government, unlike today, they didn't want to build a new railway line. Mm -hmm. They thought they could increase speed by building a new tilting train. Ah, uh, okay. Is that the one that we saw on telly that made everyone throw up? Exactly. Yeah, there was an issue with the with the tilt. It just tilted a lot, wasn't it? Yeah, and there's a famous quote where uh, one Daily Mail journalist was riding on the train. He asked the person who was pushing the trolley up and down, serving the teas and coffees on the train, Yeah, what do you do when the train goes round a bend and it tilts? And she said, I open my legs and hope for the best. <laughs> okay. And I think that's a really good motto for life. <laughs> what? Open your legs and hope for the best. Well, when on a tilting train, of course. Of course, when on a tilting train. <laughs> so that's the advanced passenger train. Anyway, moving on. Is there anything in the post bag this week, Ben? Yes, and there's a very, very interesting one. We were contacted by Felix, and Felix is in the USA. Translation for English listeners, Felix, we go by Felix. Yeah, or how it is actually pronounced his name. Felix. Oh, is he Spanish? Well, he's Mexican. Oh, Mexican. So, so it's Felix. Yeah. Felix. I do apologise, Felix. I'm sorry about that. 
And and to be fair, I think that it, it was really a, a really interesting message. So uh, Felix says, Benja, I relate to you so much. Uh, as a Mexican living in the USA, plenty of the stereotypes you talked about in the first episode of Series 1 hit home for me too. Thank you very much, first of all, Felix. I think that it resonates with a, a lot of us foreigners living in a different country, and that's why we wanted to touch that topic in the episode. Uh, he says as well, the first thing I hear often when my nationality comes up is, you don't look Mexican. And actually, Felix here is raising, and he actually explains uh, in his email, he raised a very, very important issue, which is, and, and in his words, he says, there is always an assumption that everyone looks the same or that nationality equals race. Even after telling people that I was born and grew up in Mexico, people are still often confused. That really hit home for me uh, for me as well, because as you know, I think that when people hear about me being South American, they don't expect to see someone who looks like me. I'm very, very pale. And I think their expectation is to see someone who's a little bit darker. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I, I think that it's very interesting what Felix says between the differences between sort of associating nationality to race. I think that it's come up on TV as well, you know, with the these women from the chess show, the chess, the chess TV show. Oh, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. So, for example, she is from Argentinian descent and she speaks very good Spanish. And again, people have been surprised that she was Argentinian because they didn't think that she looked Argentinian. Whatever. Another thing, what, what does that mean? What does looking Argentinian or Mexican or British what does it mean? Why do we need to associate it with with race? Uh, so I think that it's an excellent point that Felix raises. I think that it's a point that a lot of people are touched by. So I just want to, um, I know that we normally uh, tend to go on the comedic side of things, but I think that this is a really, really important point to make for everyone listening in terms of the assumptions and the uh, preconceptions that you might have about a different country. So I just want to leave it there leave, leave Felix point out there for everyone to listen to take in well thank you very much Felix for that and I feel terrible now because we're going from something that is quite highbrow for us really to something very lowbrow which is well I've got a treat for you what is Argentina famous for being the best in the world number two uh asado you're getting there. What is in an asado? What's in the barbecue? Meat. Yeah. What kind of meat? Beef. Beef. And beef comes from? A cow. A cow. Yeah. And Argentina has a lot of cows. Yeah. We can't get around the fact. I know it's a stereotype, but it's true. I've seen those cows myself. There are cows everywhere. But did you know that there is now a quiz where you can find out what cow personality you are? Is there such a thing as cow personalities? Well, there's different types of cows, isn't there? Okay, so my personality is going to match a cow, a yeah. type or like a, a breed of cow. In the real world. <laughs> okay. We're, we're basically going to find your inner bovine. Have you done this quiz yourself? No, 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 no. I'm saving, I'm saving it for you. Okay. You're the cow expert, so... See, talk about assumptions. Okay, you ready? There's a few questions, um, and then we're going to find out what cow you are. Okay. So, first of all, we need to know a little bit about you. You've got a choice of uh, six options here. You can only pick one. Six? Okay. okay. My warm eyes are my best feature. I don't leave the house without snacks. I have very large calves. I like to stand out in the crowd. I'm relatively petite. <laughs> I think we could rule that one out <laughs> straight away. I'm smart. Okay, I'm going to go with having big calves. Do you think you've got large calves? Yeah, I mean, they're large. They're not like Arnold Schwarzenegger people doing weights and competing on that thing. What's that? A bodybuilder. Yeah, so it's not bodybuilder calves, but they're big. I would have said they're above average, but I wouldn't have said they're large. But anyway, it's your anyway, quiz. Yeah. Locking it in. Boom! So, we're going to ask a question about your style now. My style? Yeah. Is your style, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing the same outfit two days in a row? I mean, I don't know what that... <laughs> that means. Says everything. T-shirt and jeans every day. Every colour is my best colour. Flannel, flannel and more flannel. 
Okay. okay. It's a bit random. To be fair, that kind of fits a little bit being in a gay club sometimes, doesn't it? What, flannel, 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 and more flannel, flannel. flannel. Yeah. I'm surprised there isn't a gay club called Flannel, actually. To be fair, it's a good one. Uh, I own several shades of mascara. Uh, and finally, I own several brown blazers. Ooh, none of them. That's the problem. Well, you need to pick one because we won't find out what kind of cow you are. Okay, considering that in uh, the past months, years, I, I don't even know where we are. We haven't really been able to go out with a lot. It's going to be jeans and t-shirt. Okay. I do like wearing a suit. I do like to wear shirts and so on and, and nice shoes. It's just that we really haven't had the opportunity, have we? If you had to live in a specific climate... Which warm. would would you choose? Warm, warm, warm. Okay, well, let's see what the options are okay. first. A rocky mountaintop suits me just fine. Does it have Wi-Fi? The more sunshine, the better. Okay. Tropical, Antarctica, New England, or take me to the Windy City. What's New England? Well, I think it's. I think New England has a very similar climate to the UK. Like it's a bit of a mixture of everything. Like, so you have to be prepared for all of the elements, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would probably say tropical because I'm too pale for the sun, 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 sun one. I mean, tropical, I presume that well, you have monsoons, you have like a, a lot of wet periods and so on. So it's not just sun, sun, sun. You're a hot cow, but you want to feel a bit of moisture on your back. Yeah. How would your friends describe you in the, in the herd? Hungry, very low maintenance. Great work ethic, because we all see cows in the office. Uh, great parenting instincts, a rare breed, or easygoing? God, definitely not easygoing. I'm dramatic as hell. Okay, so I'm going to go with hungry, because whether he's hungry for food or whether he's ambition, I think I have both. Right, last question now. We're okay. almost there at finding out what your inner bovine is. What one word would you use to describe yourself? Asshole. Calm, colourful, efficient, strong, eccentric, or reliable? Uh, let's just say colourful. Right, here we go. Oh, you're an Ayrshire. What? An Ayrshire. They're a breed of dairy cattle from southwest Scotland. Okay, Wait, how do you spell that? I need to Google it. A Y R. S H I R E. It's a part That's... of South West Scotland. Okay. Typically weighing 450 to 600 kilograms. Yeah, sounds like me. <laughs> uh, you're a superior grazer, um, which does actually sound quite a lot like you. So is that, is that like a fancy car way to see, to say that I eat a lot? You eat a lot, but more importantly, because you eat a lot, your milk is fabulous. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Despite all that grazing, according to this, actually, as cows go, you're actually medium size. Okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what to do with this information, to be fair. Well, the grass outside is pretty long, so what I suggest you do is get yourself out in the garden, have a little munch around, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, what happens is that it saves you from cutting the grass. Absolutely. Cheeky. Okay, so today's episode is very much a bareback battle for the ages because it's hashtag visit Britain versus hashtag visit Argentina. Indeed. Today we're going to discuss and battle it out with natural wonders. Ooh. And I have to say, I feel pretty confident about this one. I have this one in the back. So natural wonder. What is a natural wonder? So it's natural and it's a wonder. Yeah, but is there like a clarification? Okay, so he's made by nature and he's wonderful. Okay, glad we've, glad we've <laughs> agreed the criteria. I mean, the ones that I've got, I've got three. Yeah. And that they definitely fit that criteria. Three natural wonders from the United Kingdom that I really feel put us at the front of tourist destinations around the world. Yeah, sorry, but now I have this one in the back. Okay, well, what are you going to hit me with first? I have three, and it has been really, really difficult to narrow them down. And the reason for that is you need to remember, Bab, 
Argentina spans 3,800 kilometers from south to north, which means that we have pretty much almost every climate in the world. So whatever you want, as a natural wonder, we have it. Name it, we have it. But I've selected the three that I think are probably the best. Let me start with a cheeky competition one. So this one is called La Ruta de los Siete Lagos. So the route of the seven lakes. So I want to battle it up lake to lake. Oh, so you knew that I was going to bring the Lake District to the table. Of course. And you are going to go head to head. Lake to lake. Lake to lake. Okay, right. Give me give me your rundown. Give me your stats. Okay, so uh, it's worth saying that this is called the route of the seven lakes. Is a basically a route in the national route number 40 that goes from San Carlos de Bariloche to Villa Langostura, which are two very touristy cities in Patagonia. It's uh, amongst the mountains and it goes through a number of uh, of lakes. There's probably a lot of lakes, but seven lakes are the main, the most beautiful ones. Uh, of the seven, I've chosen to give you a little bit of some stats about one of them, probably the most well-known, which is called Nahuel Huapi. Okay. So Nahuel Huapi is a lake that is 37 kilometers long. Is 10 kilometers wide in its widest point. Its average depth is 157 meters, but its maximum known depth is 464 meters, and there's suspicions that it's even deeper. It has a total of 83.35 kilometers cubed of volume. And he's located at 770 meters above sea level. Okay, you've got some good stats there, but what can I do there? What can you do? You can camp, you can enjoy... <laughs> you can definitely camp, yeah, up. Different camp, like in a tent. Okay. There's, of course, tourist resorts. There's, of course, uh, water sports. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, now you're just being a little bit for the sake of it, aren't you? Yeah cheeky so there's water sports there you can sail because it's a very big lake and you might actually have an encounter with a nahuelito is that the word for grandma no that's abuelita okay this is nahuelito it comes from the name nahuel wapi nahuelito is a mythical monster that lives in uh, this lake very similar to Scotland's own Nessie. I want to hear more about this lake monster. Okay, so uh, Nahuelito may come from indigenous uh, sort of legends, from uh, basically their stories, and they would they would talk about a monster that didn't have any feet or any uh, or any head. It, it was a very very scary monster. So it's like literally a blob, kinda. But then... It's a bit of a boring monster. You need a head. Well, yeah, but... Like, it, what's I, scary about a blob? Yeah, but that's just an old, old uh, sort of indigenous... It's probably a bit of rubbish in the lake, just kind of blobbing around. I mean, are you mouthing our indigenous myths and population? No, but I'm saying that the Loch Ness Monster has a head and a long neck. Well, if you let me finish, you'll find out that this one actually does have a head and a neck and so on. From about 1897... There started to be reports about a monster that looked like a plesiosaurus. A plesiosaur. That's the word. So basically what people presume that Nessie is as well, isn't it? It's like a big, fat, long neck and what do you call instead of feet? Flippers. Flippers. So it's similar It's similar to what the Loch Ness Monster is allegedly meant to be. Yeah, it's very similar. So the first reports uh, were in 1897. Okay, well, I'll stop you right there, mm -hmm. because the Loch Ness Monster goes back a lot longer than that. Yeah, so does this one, but the, in the yeah, indigenous... The, the first written account of the Loch Ness Monster was in a biography of St. Columba in 565 AD. Yeah, but didn't St. Columba as well, like, kill the monster with his voice or something? I'm sorry, there's a lot about... I've been, I've been studying British history... And I think that a lot of the myths around St. Columba... Um... Okay, well, 
there are obviously reports far older than that from the indigenous population, but the first recorded ones, like official, were received by the like the Sioux manager of the biggest Sioux in the country about this potential monster, but it it didn't really go anywhere. In 1910, there was the first uh, sort of official report of it. And then in 1922, because there were so many reports, the Sioux in Buenos Aires decided to get an expedition to look for it. But that didn't really sit well with people because they brought like dynamite, they brought like elephant hunting rifles. But they were going to kill it. Oh, yeah. They were going to like literally just find it and, and, and kill it. And people were in uproar. So in the end, they had to cancel the expedition because the official national permits were revoked. And since then, it's always been uh, sort of something that is occasionally spotted. So there still are reports. The last reports are from last year. So it's always been seen. And there was also as well a, a theory that actually the Navy went to the lake and for 18 days, they were basically pursuing something that was escaping from them in the lake and they never, they never caught it. It always got away. Did that actually happen? Yeah, apparently so. It's been sought after, but it's a very, very sneaky monster now. It's talking. very sneaky. And the thing is, this leg, you need to remember that it comes from a lot of rivers, from uh, the mountains and so on. So there's a lot of places that it can hide. I'm going at maximum depths of over 400 meters. There's plenty of space where it can hide and not be visible. Wow. So you have beautiful legs, beautiful views, amazing, just amazing views. And a leg monster. Has anyone photographed this monster? I think so. I think there have been photographed. But you know how you know how photographs are of these type of things. That you have four K H D cameras looking at you in the city, but then when it comes to something mildly weird, it's like pixelated and it's taken on a photo on a photo camera from nineteen twenty seven. Mm. Well, he, I mean, even the famous photograph of Nessie, the the surgeon's photograph that was taken in in the nineteen thirties by I think he was a doctor. Hence why it's called the surgeon's photograph. Mm -hmm. And that's the one, the famous one. That yeah, the one that you can see the neck coming up and yeah. then sort of with, with the hump, sort of the hump of Nettie. I, I thought that one was fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It proved to be a fake in the end. It was a toy submarine fitted with um, a fake sea serpent head. So was it on purpose? He did it on purpose? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't like an accident that he photographed something that he ended up being, oh, that's malicious. That's not good, Bob. But then there's been other, other sightings and other photographs and other pictures. I mean, Nessie's massive in Scotland. I mean, it's something like 40, 41 million pounds that injects into the local economy just by being there. And I imagine that your um, Argentine sea monster, it does the same for the uh, the lakes area. Uh, to be fair, I, I think so. But I think that there's so much natural beauty there, natural wonder, you might say, that you don't really need the monster. It's kind of like a plus. But I think it's more for the like the conspiracy theorists. People just go there for the nature more than, more than anything. Well, I think if we're going lake to lake, clearly the Lake District in England, in northwest England, uh, in 2017 became a UNESCO World Heritage Site, fact fans. I don't think we're going to win on size. So it is England's largest national park, but obviously the United Kingdom is much smaller than Argentina. We're looking at about 2,363 square kilometres of obviously lakes, mountains, rivers, woodlands, and other gorgeous natural features. But I think what is different, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's what the Lake District has inspired, I think, is what makes it an incredible natural wonder. What has it inspired? The Lake District became much more accessible in the Victorian times. William Wordsworth, the poet, he published his Guide to the Lakes in 1810. And then, of course, lo and behold, the railway arrived in 1847. Okay. Um, another plus, plus for the railways. You've probably heard of the famous Daffodils poem that William Wordsworth wrote. He was born in the Lake District and he wrote this poem in the Lake District. Okay. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high over vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the tree, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Ah, oh, that's nice. How old is this poem? Oh, like Victorian times. Okay. You've heard of that poem? Uh, I've heard the name of the poem. I've never heard it before. And then we have John Ruskin, who was a famous artist. And then, of course, probably 
the most famous person from the latest trip, Beatrix Potter. Oh, that's the bunny lady. Yeah, she wrote the famous Peter Rabbit book collection. Yeah, Peter Rabbit. Sorry, I couldn't remember the name. She she lived and works there. And of course, we've been there. Yeah, we've been there. And to be fair, it's really, really pretty. It's, I mean, it is amazing. It is amazing. It did rain the whole time we were there. Yeah. But we did some amazing things. We yeah. drove our car onto a ferry and went across Lake Windermere. Yeah. We were the most unprepared hills, trollers, hiking, yeah. So basically, on the first day we got to, we stayed in Ambleside, which is a little, I suppose, a large village, really, isn't yeah. it? And we decided on our first day, because it was sunny, the only time that it was sunny while we were there, to walk up Wandsfell Pike, um, which is a mountain. Yeah. It was a very hot day. We had just arrived. We didn't take any water with us. And we were basically in day-to-night, desk-to-dance-floor trainers, jeans. We didn't have any sun protection. We didn't have any sunglasses. We just thought, well, there's a mountain there. We'll walk up. It's a nice day. What infuriated me the most was all the people who were coming back down from the mountain, who obviously looked at us and realised, what the heck are these people doing? But what made it even worse would they would say to us, come on, guys, you can do it. You're almost there. Oh, yeah, the encouraging. And I was just like, I really don't want you to do this. I just want to get to the mountain, take a photo and come back down and go for a pint and have like 20 Marlboro Lights. Yeah, the thing is, the encouragement sounded like really condescending, didn't it? We got about three quarters of the way up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could see the top. And I think it for me, it was quite frustrating. But we had to admit defeat because literally our legs were about to give way. To be fair, I was dehydrated. I hadn't drunk any water because we were in the car. We literally parked the car, left the bags in the hotel and then just went into the hill. I was severely dehydrated. It just wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a pleasant experience. And then we decided to walk back down. And as we were walking back down, we were obviously a bit miserable, a bit moody. And this walker with his sticks and his hiking boots and all the gear and equipment you could ever want. I think he had one of those tubes coming out of his rucksack so he could drink water straight from his bag. Yeah, he wasn't. He was like, oh, climbing a mountain in jeans. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were not pleased about that. I mean, it's like literal shade. It's like we're out enjoying the countryside and somebody gives you that kind of comment. No, not called for. Not called. But again, it was a beautiful uh, mountain. We saw some nice small waterfalls. We, where did we go? We went on the ferry. Um, oh, that was so boring, though. The, t- the the cruise around Lake Windermere. Oh, God, the cruise around. The thing with the cruise around <laughs> Lake Windermere is that, I mean, the boys' tour in in the boat was kind of, and I, I'm trying to imitate it, silence, 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 silence. On your right, you can see this little island. And silence. that was it. And literally it. no context. Not only no context, but I, I mean, give it a little bit of something. Give it a little bit of oomph. Something to entertain the masses. And it was literally at the start of the summer season as well. You'd have thought he'd have been raring to go, you know, look at this mountain, look at this island, look who lives there, look at the animals. A little bit of music, something to give it a little bit of jazz, you know, something to bump it up a little bit. It was so boring. And of course, we made the bad decision of sitting outside and then it rained the whole time we were on the cruise. Yeah, of course, but you kind of have to sit outside in those things. But we did admit defeat. After our sort of climbing escapade disaster, we then went to look at some of the shops on the high street in Ambleside. Mm-hmm. You know, do we want to buy some hiking clothes and some boots and things like that? Looked at the prices and thought, no. Nah, Not really. We'll just go to the pub. So we kind of stayed pretty much on... Uh, yeah. On ground level at that point. But we did see a lot of natural things. So we drove around, we drove around uh, the lake and we went to see such natural wonders like a rock and a hole in the ground. All of the natural wonders that you want to see. Oh, but the rock. I think it's not just any rock. It's the Bowder Stone that we went to see. Yeah, it's a rock. The Bowder Stone fell 200 metres from the crag above several thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not over nine metres high. 15 metres across, and apparently it weighs 2,000 tonnes. It was very impressive, as rocks go. I mean, it was a very big rock, yeah. In the Victorian times, again, it was a massive 
tourist attraction. Like politicians would go for the day and visit it and they, you know, they'd have tea and whatever around it. Around the rock. Yeah. Well, apparently, and I didn't realise this until after we left, but I was doing some research for this podcast. Apparently, if you shake your hand underneath, because there's a little bit of the stone where you can put your hand underneath. It's like hollow underneath. Yeah, we saw that. Apparently, if you shake your hands underneath it, it's good luck. So basically, if the rock doesn't squash your hands while you're shaking hands, it's good luck. Yeah. Okay. But it was nice. They had like a little little step ladder up to the top. And yeah. We could look out over the Bowder Stone. Yeah, definitely. And you couldn't, I don't know, see trees and other rocks. I'm kind of feeling that we're kind of even on the round one. I mean... You've got girth and quantity, but I think I've got that kind of artistic flair that perhaps okay. your Lake District is lacking. Let's call it artistic. I disagree, but let's call the lakes even. And I'm saying this even. It takes me a little bit of, like, prompting myself to be able to actually say it. What have you got for round two? Round two, I have a massive glacier. I'm going to give you the Perito Moreno Glacier, which, very much in line with what we are talking, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Oh, I love a UNESCO. You love a UNESCO. So if in, it's also in Patagonia. It's in the southern province of Santa Cruz. It's basically a, a natural dam. So there's a river there, and the, the glacier grows and blocks the river, creates a dam. And let me give you again some numbers, some facts about, about this glacier. The glacier sort of spans 60 to 80 meters above the water level. Then is 50 kilometers long and is four and a half kilometers wide, sort of where it blocks the, uh, the river. But one of the most interesting things about it, and it's been very, very popular with tourists uh, around the world, is because it creates this dam. So there's almost like an up to 30 meters level differences between one side and the other. So all of that pressure and the fact that it's ice means that water infiltrates and it creates like a vault. Okay. V-A-U-L-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vault. So it's kind of like it creates like a tunnel where water starts going through and eventually it erodes so much that it falls. And it's a massive exhibition because as you can imagine, the vault can be up to 50 meters high. Wow. And suddenly that crumbles down and it happens in, on average, it happens every four and a half years. So, so do people book a holiday? Knowing that it's going to... The thing is, it's inconsistent, so you never know. So the last time it happened was in in 2018. I think that before that it was in 2016, so two years apart. But then the one before that was 2012, and then like 2006. So it's quite... So four and a half years is very much an average. I bet there's some really annoying guy who just has a camera there like all the time. Well, the thing is, he's in a national park and one of the last times that it happened, that it crumbled, it crumbled during the night where the park was closed. So actually there was no one there to see it. But I bet people heard it. I bet it was loud. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really, really loud. And it's become an iconic sort of moment being able to see the bolt forming. And you can see it. It's kind of like a tunnel. You see the the ice and you can see sort of how it starts then the hole starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it gets eroded by water. And then suddenly that crumble is just a deafening noise. But surely at some point it's going to erode completely. Well, no, the thing is, that is because what's happening with this glacier is that it's still moving because it comes from water from the mountain. It keeps growing. So it basically creates the dam blocking the river. It forms the bolt. It crashes down, but then the glacier keeps advancing. So it forms again and again and again. What a party it must be to see that. Oh, no. And the thing is, people try to... Uh, people, I want to. People try to... But Can yeah. we work out when four and a half years is and book our holiday in now? Yeah, but the problem is, is that it's a moment. I would rather miss it for a year rather than miss it for a day. Imagine if I go today and it happens tomorrow. Oh, you'd be gutted, wouldn't you? Oh, or you have planned to go tomorrow and it happens today. But do they have like a, have a no crumble, no fee policy at the National Park? Like if you don't see it, 
then you get your money back. Well, to be fair, it doesn't really break often, so that would not make good business sense. Well, maybe that's something that we could look at. We could set up like a travel company. Like a travel company. In the glacier, you can also do tours that take you on the glacier. So you can actually walk on the glacier. And I've seen this one years ago. So whenever we go, I want to do it. You can go on the glacier, walk on the glacier, and then you have like a rest stop somewhere. And you can have 18-year-old whiskey chill from the, with ice from the glacier. Is that hygienic? Yeah, it's ice. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Can I take my own ice? Uh, you want to take your own ice to a massive glacier. Well, I think it'd be much more cleaner. What? Bab, we've been through a pandemic. I'm washing my hands regularly. I know, but if you can imagine, you, they're not going to take the ice from the surface, aren't they? They're going to make a hole and take like a thing of ice that is probably hundreds of years old. Well, maybe I'll have to have a look into their health and safety regulations before I make that decision. I mean, I think you're being a little bit overzealous there. Anyway, UNESCO heritage, massive, massive glacier. One of the greatest spectacles in the natural world. How big's the glacier again? So the glacier is 50 kilometres long oh. by four and a half kilometres wide. And it can be 60 to 80 metres from above the water level so I'm, I'm not sure how much it goes down but it goes down you know how the icebergs normally yeah. work that the normally the majority is under the water well the thing is i plan to battle out the glacier with the white cliffs of dover okay what are the the what sorry say again the white cliffs of dover the white cliffs of dover so it's the the chalk cliffs that face france on the english channel okay they're chalk, so they're bright white, hence the white cliffs of Dover. Now, they're not as big as the glacier. They're eight miles long. Can you take, like, a bit of it and use it in a blackboard to write? Is yeah. that type of chalk? Yeah, it's the same It's the same kind of chalk, I guess. Okay. I, so I assume so. Is chalk manufactured or is just grabbing a piece of there and put in a mould and cut? I don't know. We're okay. talking about natural wonders, not classroom staples. Wow. So they're eight miles long, 100 metres high. The White Cliffs of Dover are very much associated with the Second World War, with the troops coming back from France, from, you know, from the front line. You, you've obviously heard of the song that was made famous by Dame Vera Lynn. Um, There'll be bluebirds over the White Cliffs of Dover. Tomorrow, just you wait and see. We'll have to get the lawyers to clear that one. Um, do we clap? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. It's fine. Beautiful singing voice, baby. Thank you. Thank you. But also, it prevented Julius Caesar, actually, his first invasion of Britain in, just off the top of my head, 55 BC. Yeah, you didn't really research that one, did you? When he tried to invade Britain for the first time, um, he saw that the, the soldiers were lining the cliff tops. And the cliffs are really close to the shore as well. There's not many beaches along the White Cliffs of Dover. So he had to sail seven miles northeast before he could um, run aground. Is the cliffs like just the cliffs? Or how far into land do they go? Well, that's what I was just saying. They're pretty much there. You've got the sea and then the cliffs. Yeah, yeah. But what I mean is the, the chalk there, if you like. Well, I'm not a geologist. How I don't do know. I know. Well, the thing is, it's just to compare size. We're sort of, I'm giving you a glacier that is 250 kilometres square. Well, I'm sure they go in a bit. So, But you don't see yeah, that bit. So it's, you see the white cliffs. You see the white cliffs. This is what inspired Shakespeare, you know? The white cliffs of Dover, the, the bit that you see mm -hmm. out the front. They have wild horses there as well, that they've pony herds. They just kind of like ramble around. Like actual wild horses? Well, I think they're semi-wild. semi, semi -wild. Okay, semi-wild. Well, I, yeah, gonna... I think someone comes around and checks they're okay, you know. It's kind of like they're out all day, but they come back for dinner. Probably, yeah. yeah. Kind of like that. And I think they kind of restricted on where they can go, but they're kind of just like left to do their thing, really. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I picked these is because there is a really nice link to the railway as well, because you know I love my trains. Yeah, there's always um, a railway. There's a bit in front of a part of the White Cliffs of Dover called Samfi Ho. Who's a ho? Well, no one's a ho because ho actually means, and it, as in H-O-E. Oh yeah, it's the same spelling, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, that means a piece of land sticking out to the sea. Okay. When they built the Channel Tunnel, which is obviously the railway line that links France and England, mm -hmm. they took out 4.9 million cubic metres of chalk marl 
So they took that out when they were excavating the tunnels mm -hmm. and they created a country park of reclaimed land in front of the cliffs. And essentially it's the newest part of England. You can go and visit the White Cliffs of Dover and see the newest part of England, which I think is really cool. I mean, it is really cool. Again, probably not as cool as a glacier the size of Birmingham City. Birmingham, UK, we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The glacier is 250 kilometres. Birmingham City, so not the wider area, the city is 267 kilometres squared. Well, we drove to Birmingham the other day and you were astounded that there's a suburb called Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. It was like Hollywood. Because yeah. I started singing the Madonna song, Hollywood, and you were like, why are you singing that? And I was like, because we're in Hollywood. And you were like, no, we're not. We're in the West Midlands. And I was like, no, there's a suburb of Birmingham called Hollywood. Yeah, is there all of the names there sort of kind of like Californian? There's a California as well. Go figure. Go figure. So the reason I picked the White Cliffs of Dover is essentially they're disappearing. You need to see them now because bits are falling off. Um, is it like falling, like like it, like with the glacier, the pieces falling off? Yeah, but they're not being replaced Okay. In, in this case. Obviously, climate change is a big factor, which is causing them to be eroded at a rate faster than what they have done in the past few thousand years. It's basically miss it, miss out. I appreciate the White Cliffs of Dover are not as big as the glacier, but I was kind of hoping I might win this round on the fact that they're not going to be here for that much longer. You know, storm intensity in this country is a real big problem for coastal erosion as well as climate change. And is that like, is that one of the things that's erasing the cliffs? Yeah, and I can really attest to that as well, because my auntie Brenda and uncle Raymond, they had a caravan. It was on the cliff. It didn't erode, but an intense storm blew the caravan off the cliff and into the sea. So the storms are disappearing the cliffs and caravans. Absolutely. I mean, luckily they weren't there at the time. They were back home in Bradford. And I've stayed in that caravan. So, you know. It could have been you. It could have been me. I remember when we stayed in that caravan, and I'll never forget this, because when we woke up in the morning, we stayed with my grandma and my granddad, who, as you know, we called Bumper. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, grandma said, you can have whatever you want for breakfast. And we said, I want a chicken sandwich. And we got a chicken sandwich. And me and my brother, still years and years later, talk about the chicken sandwich that we had with Grandma and Bumper in Auntie Brenda and Uncle Raymond's caravan before it got blown before. off the cliff. I really do want to go and see the cliffs because I haven't been there before. So it would be really interesting. And I really want to see them before they end up disappearing. But I'm kind of claiming this round. I know. And I really thought that my story about Auntie Brenda and Uncle Raymond's caravan at Flamborough Head was going to uh, lure you into a false sense of security. But you saw right through that story, didn't you? Glacier for the win. Okay. What is your final one? So for my final one, I've chosen the natural wonder of natural wonders. Selected as one of the new seven world natural wonders by a competition, a boated competition, where more than 100 million boats were casted and more than 440 different natural sites in the planet competed, one of the seven winners was Las Cataratas del Iguazú. Right, so you're doing the Iguazú Falls. First of all, these 100 million votes, who verified them? Oh, it was very official. So they were, uh, there were rules about it, so you couldn't vote twice, so it had to be very regulated. I, it was, I, and it took years. It was like from 20, um, 2007 to 2011. Okay. There were like different rounds and people voted, but you could vote. But there was like an ID thing uh, that you needed to use to vote. So you couldn't vote twice. Okay, right. That's fine. I'm satisfied at that. Second question, Iguazu Falls. I've been to the Iguazu Falls, famously not in Argentina. Uh, famously, yes. Okay. A bit of it is in Argentina, but the majority of it is in Brazil. And there's a bit in Paraguay as well. No, no, no. So first of all, there's no part of it in Paraguay. It's just shared between Argentina and Brazil. Okay. Iguazu Falls has 275 falls. 80% of those are in Argentina. Says who? Uh, the official geography of the Iguazu Falls. Okay. So you've been to the Iguazu Falls? Yeah, the Brazilian side. Why didn't you go to the Argentinian side? You were already there? Because I was in Brazil. I think you had to pay like $40. I think I didn't have my passport that day or whatever. And I was just like, I'm quite happy on the Brazilian side. I'm enjoying it. I'm having a great time. Why do I need to double it up? 
I'll tell you what, there's a saying about the Westwood Falls and the Brazilian and Argentinian side, which says, from Brazil you see the falls, from Argentina you lift them. I'll tell you why. So I think that the reason for that is that because of how they're distributed, when you go to the Brazilian side, you have a panoramic view of the falls because most of the falls are on the Argentinian side. You can see some falls from the Brazilian side, but mostly you get an amazing panoramic view of the falls. From the Brazilian side. From the Brazilian side. So basically side. the best side to be on. When you go to the Argentinian side, you actually go through the falls. You actually get wet from the falls. You can uh, walk uh, under falls. And you can take the boat to the main one, which I'll explain a little bit later. You literally under, through, really, you can touch the falls. So that you leave the falls from the Argentinian side. Okay. It's amazing. To be fair, it does sound quite good. To be fair, I think both are worth seeing. What I always say, and what most people say, is take two days. First day, go to the Brazilian side. And second day, go to the Argentinian side. Without knowing the Argentinian side, you see the Brazilian side and you are marveled by the panoramic view. And it's really, really amazing. And it really is amazing. And then you go into the Argentinian side and you go like close to the falls. You, you can touch them. So it's very different experiences. So both are worth seeing. All right, Judith Chalmers. Yeah. Yeah. So do you know who Judith Chalmers is? No. <laughs> I, that was a little joke to the Brits out there. She um, used to host a TV programme called Wish You Were Here, which would give advice such as what you've just given. See, useful advice. I like that person on that show. But... Judith Chalmers, legend. Okay. Love her already. In the Argentinian side, you have the biggest fall. The biggest fall is called the Devil's Throat. Ooh. Rumbling noise, 80 meters high. You can go close to it from below on a boat, or you can actually walk through... Oh, like raised walkways. So you have raised walkways all through the, all through the, the falls, but then you can take an eco-train that takes you up the hill. What's an eco-train? It's an ecological train. So it's a train that is not fueled by diesel. Or is it fueled by? Uh, I think it's like eco-diesel. I mean, they kind of missed a trick there. They buy one of the largest waterfalls in the world and they don't power it by water. I don't have time to research that, but it is a train. And you like trains, so that's fair enough. So, and then you can go up the train and then you go in a race uh, walkway and it takes you about 30 metres from the fall where you have a viewing platform and you can actually look down to the 80 meters fall of this massive, massive waterfall. Just so you can dimension this, I've devised a little bit of a quiz for you. Oh, I love a quizzy. So the average flow of the uh, waterfalls is 1,756 cubic meters per second. That's about the amount of water I use when I take a shower. Mm, not that much. Um, in its peak, the, the highest recorded flow was in 2014 and it reached 50,000 cubic meters per second. So in this quiz, what I'm going to ask you is how much or how quickly you could feel things with those flows. So you mentioned taking a shower. So I'll take you bath. With the average flow, how many bathtubs do you think you could fill in one second? 500 baths. In one second, you could fill with the average flow 21,950 bathtubs. In one second. Yeah, they'd be pretty cold, though. And pretty rattled as well. How many with the maximum flow? The maximum flow of 50,000 cubic metres. I just have to times it by five. Oh, my head is really hurting. I'm too hungover for this. A lot. 100,000 baths. Well, you are a little bit short. In one second of the maximum flow, 
you could fill 625,000 bathtubs. Now, I'm going to get contentious here. With this flow... I love how serious you're getting. You, you're going into engineer mode here, right? Yeah. I've really enjoyed working with that. And you? I did a lot of maths for this, to be fair. <laughs> Your face is, like, really intense. That's really contentious. How long would it take for the flow of the Iwasu Falls to fill Windermere Lake? A day? You're not that far. In the average flow, it would take 49 hours, so a little bit over two days, for the Windermere Lake to be filled by the flow. And I can tell you that Lake Windermere is 10.5 miles long. I don't know how wide it is, but it's quite thin, but it's, it's a big lake. Maximum flow? Well, oh gosh, um, I don't know, an afternoon, five hours? At maximum flow, it would take the water one hour and 42 minutes to fill Windermere Lake. Wow. That would be more interesting than the lake cruise that we did. Yeah, probably. And I have a last one for you to guess. And I'm going to take it a little bit bigger. And this oh, one. No, my head is really hurting. But, and the, but yeah, but I had to do a lot of maths for this I one. I know, but my head really hurts. Is this the last one? Yes. This is the last one that I'll make you guess. How long would it take for the average flow of the Iwasu Falls to fill the O2 Arena in London? Not as quick as Lady Gaga. <laughs> she sells out in seconds. I know. Uh, 30 minutes. Very close. Yes. It would take 23 minutes for the average flow of the Iwasu Falls to fill the O2 Arena. Maximum flow? Maximum flow. Oh, 30 seconds. Close as well. Yes. It would take 49 seconds for the Iwasu Falls maximum flow to fill the O2 Arena in London. Oh, I'm loving this Iguazu Falls flow quiz. I basically won it, haven't I? Yeah, kind of. You were close enough. Is there a prize? Uh, I love you. Uh, is there a prize? Uh, I'll cook dinner. Is there a prize? No. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. One of the seven natural wonders of the world. Oh, well, I don't, I don't even want to do my last one now because I'm not going to win now. I mean, it's a good one, but it's not going to compare to that. What's your last one? It's Northern Ireland's only UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's 50 to 60 million years old, and it's essentially the crystallisation of molten lava extruding into the sea. Oh, I've been there. One more clue for you. Oh, well, you know. I was going to give you another clue. Oh, give me the other clue. Let's, pre <laughs> let's pretend I, I, I haven't been there. <laughs> you know what I'm doing anyway, because we discussed it beforehand. So 40,000 basalt, is it basalt, basalt, basalt? Basalt, I don't know. You're the English person. I sorry. don't know. There's 40,000 rocks. I can tell you in Spanish, it's basalto. Fantastic. Put that in your textbook, kids. You've learned a new Spanish word. It's the Giant's Causeway. The Giant's Causeway. I love the Giant's Causeway. Now, do you know why it's called the Giant's Causeway? Mm, oh, I can't remember, but there was a there was a legend about a giant that crossed from Northern Ireland to somewhere else. So, it's apparently the work of Irish giant Finn McCall, who created it in order to cross to Scotland so he could go into battle against his enemy, Ben and Donna. Which actually sounds like if we opened our own kebab house. Yeah, Ben and Donna. Yeah, I love it. So I went to the Giant Cosway. As you know, I travelled with my brother to Northern Ireland. And we went to Belfast. And we rented a car for the day with the idea of going to the Giant Cosway and then uh, going to Derry. And you know how I am like in museums. You know how I, I particularly art museums. You know how I, I can go, look, move on, go, look, move on. So we went to the Giant Gosway, we walked down, and um, I, I think there's a bus that takes you up and down, but they said that it was quite a nice walk, so we took the walk. I think what we probably spent there half an hour. He spent half an hour at the Giant's Causeway. The thing is, don't get me wrong, it's really striking. It, it is really beautiful. It, it absolutely is. And if, again, for an engineer, the fact that those rocks kind of have like a, a hexagonal shape is really impressive. But half an hour? Yeah, it's kind of like we went there, we saw it. Okay. And to be fair, we kind of we didn't know how long it would take us to um, sort of to uh, go through Derry as well. Mm. 
Mm. And it was kind of all cramped in a day. We literally had the car from nine in the morning or from eight in the morning up until seven at night. Mm. Well, the thing is, I, we were there hours, but we had the audio guide. And I was like, I am dialing in one to a hundred. I'm getting my money's worth out of this audio guide. Yeah, see, I never get audio guides. It's kind of like, I, I don't know why, but I don't normally get them. Well, I find when we go to museums, I find it really frustrating that you're always skipping ahead. And it's like, no, you can't go from seven to nine. What about eight? And you're like, oh, well, eight didn't look interesting. I'm like, it doesn't matter. We've paid yeah. for it. Let's get our money's worth. There was a downside to it because we were going to Derry. We didn't go, you know how they say, um, like a hanging bridge? The Caricarede. Because I went with my brother as well. Uh, and we went to, to Northern Ireland for, for a long weekend. That bridge, I shit myself because it's literally like a rope bridge. And you can see, I think it's about 20, 30 metres high. You can literally see the sea, the rocks below. It yeah. was really scary. And, and to be fair, I'm really sad that I missed that one because it's, it was kind of the other way. So we, were, we went to the causeway that is kind of in between this bridge and Derry. And mm. we probably should have planned it different and go to the bridge first and then... So I, I really missed the bridge. On the plus side, I really, really liked Derry. Mm. I absolutely loved Derry. Well, this is what we've got to do. We've got to go back. I want to do Derry. You want to do the rope bridge. Yeah. But the only caveat with that is I won't be doing the rope bridge again. I will sit in the car and watch you go across the bridge. Okay. And I'll take your photo. Are we going to go to the Cosway again? Yeah, but we're not going to be spending half an hour. We'll spend at least two hours. Okay. I, I kind of get your point. I travelled around America with my best friend after university and we had a day trip to the Grand Canyon. And we got dropped off in the morning and we knew that we weren't going to be picked up again until, I don't know, eight hours later. And it is that kind of thing. Like you look out across the Grand Canyon, this natural wonder that is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's jaw dropping, but there's only so much you can look at it. And then you're kind of like, well, what do we do now? We've kind of looked at the hole. What do we do now? We kind of looked at the hole. That's probably the best way to describe it. The best thing was that there was a family who we met at the Grand Canyon. And they asked us to take their photograph. Now, bearing in mind, they are stood on the precipice of one of the most famous natural formations in the world. But they told us to take their photograph with my back to the Grand Canyon. So basically, I took their photograph and all you could see in the background was a car park and the visitor centre. Why did they want a photo with that? I don't know. It's one of those mysteries that I'll never know the answer to. But it does. it's something that I think about quite a lot. And I'm also annoyed that I didn't question it myself at the time, but there you are. Well, why question it? If it's what they want, maybe maybe they, they were just visiting the largest car parks in the US. I mean, he could have been an architect. He could have designed the visitor centre. Who knows? Exactly. Who, Who knows? knows? But there you are. I mean, there's no point even trying to top scores or anything. You've clearly won this. Don't get me wrong. Loved the Lake District. I absolutely loved being there. We had such a beautiful time there and it's really, really strikingly beautiful. I haven't seen the um, uh, the cliffs, but I definitely want to see them. They, they they do sound like it's a striking scene to uh, to see. Well, to be fair, you want to have a trip on the home. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and the Causeway, as much as I didn't spend a lot of time there, it is beautiful and it's fascinating from a uh, from a scientific point of view it's fascinating how those rocks form in that shape in that way for thousands and thousands and thousands of years on the other hand again as i was saying argentina spans almost 4000 kilometers from north to south you have the Iwaso Falls, you have glaciers. In the Iwaso Falls, of course, you have jungles. Then you have the deserts of the, um, uh, of the northwest with striking, striking colored rocks. So very similar to what you have seen in the Grand Canyon. So we have a Quebrada de Umahuaca. We have the tallest mountain outside of Asia. Wow. So spanning almost 7,000 meters high, you have Cerro Aconcagua. And Cerro Aconcagua is in the middle of the wine country as well. So you can actually get pissed drunk mm -hmm. doing tours of wineries and trying all of the different wines. And then you go down uh, through the glaciers, through the valleys, you go to the most southern city in the world, Ushuaia, which actually already has semi-Antarctic weather, is that far south. We have thousands and thousands of kilometers 
of ocean shoreline where you can go whale watching, penguin reserves, uh, sort of natural beauty like no other. And that comes from being a long country and having that variety. The thing is, I'm trying to come up with some witty remarks to come back to that, but I clearly am not going to be able to do it. You are from an incredible country that has incredible sight. I still love living in this country and I can't wait for us to, uh, well, for me to be able to see for the first time things that you've already seen. But let's just say that I'm looking forward to seeing all of these British natural beauty together. And going on the hoe. And going on the hoe. I am shattered after that. I was not expecting you to give me a maths quiz. Well, I did all of the maths. You just knew to guess numbers. Well, no, I had to work it out in my head and it really hurt. Mm, sorry, baby. I can almost see the smoke coming out of your head. Well, I'm going to have to have a lay down now because I'm, you know, I'm all out of sorts after that. Well, before you have a lay down, let's tell our listeners how to get in contact with us. Yep. If you do want to join in the hashtag visit Argentina versus hashtag visit Britain debate. Or tell us what the, your preferred natural wonders are from Argentina, from the UK or from the country that you live in or you're from. So you can get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at barebackpod. We are on Instagram at barebackpodcast. On Facebook, you just need to search us. We're at bareback. And of course, you can always send us an email. And the email address is barebackpodcast at gmail.com. Interesting you just mentioned that. What what kind of natural wonder that's not in Argentina or Britain would you really like to see? Oh, I would really like to see Mount Everest, but not climb it. Because I'm lazy. <laughs> Can you get a helicopter to the top or something and just stand at the top? I suppose you could. I don't know. Do they have an eco train that goes to the top? Probably not. That's just... For the Iwasu Falls. I would really love to see the um, Great Barrier Reef though as well. I think I would absolutely love diving in the Great Barrier Reef. I would really like to go to the Davaza gas crater in Turkmenistan. Is that the one that is always burning? Yeah. Is that the one that is considered like the gateway to hell or something like that? The door to hell. The yeah. door to hell. Yeah, I would really like to see that. But one. I'm not technically sure if that's a natural wonder or not. Didn't somebody just have a cigarette nearby? And... I think that's how it lighted, but I think that that is just a methane underground deposit. So it's a natural deposit that it just started um, going out. And I think that someone just accidentally lit it, but since it was lit, it, it never turned off. So we're going to Nepal, Australia and Turkmenistan. Yeah, I have my passport. Well, you better get saving up for those flights because they ain't going to be cheap, Bab. I know, I know. But again, we can do it with all of these sponsorships that we're not getting through this podcast. See you next week. Bye. Bye.